this is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series. Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ. Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. Here we are with our guest, Tony Faddis. Thank you for being here, Tony. Welcome to the show. Hey, Joe and TJ. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Uh, We're super excited to have Tony with us today. We're going to be discussing the inevitable, which is complex problems and dilemmas that every leader faces. Um, Our podcast always features a great leader, someone who provides key insights into our leadership topic for that particular month. This is a topic we know is very popular. It's something that's very close to our work, mainly because every day multiple issues can surface. So TJ, why don't you tell us more about Tony? Sure thing, Joe. Our guest uh, for this podcast, our One Thing series, is Tony Faddis. Tony, EDD, has served as a public school educator for the past 26 years as a teacher, principal, and district leader. For 13 years, she was a principal of two schools close to the United States-Mexico border and established strong collaborative teacher teams that resulted in improved content delivery greater student achievement and increased teacher self-efficacy, which we know is a huge deal in schools. In her current capacity as a district leader, Tony coaches and supports aspiring and novice school leaders. She's also a part-time faculty member of the Educational Leadership Department at the San Diego State University, teaching courses on problem-solving, professional learning, and instructional leadership to teachers who aspire to become school principals. So we're happy that she's participating in that pipeline program. Tony's passions for ed- is for educational excellence, equity, and ethical school leadership led to her doctoral research to understand principal decision-making in a unique context of border schools and border communities. Her degree conferred by San Diego State University marked uh, the end of Tony's study, but not her journey in learning. She recently authored The Ethical Line, 10 Leadership Strategies for Effective Decision-Making, and is currently developing a second book for new principles. Tony looks for something new to learn every day, something that we love to hear, and is committed to improving access and outcomes for learners of all ages. It's a fantastic career. We're super excited to have you. So, okay, Tony, let's talk about what you call the ethical line, essentially your moral compass. Let's focus on strategy one, which is identifying and modeling your core values. It's something that Joe and I explicitly discuss in our professional development sessions that we do with school leaders as well. And on the surface, it seems very straightforward and an easy path to follow but you write about right five or right situations. Can you tell us more about what you mean about this and how various situations and scenarios can cause a dilemma or uncertainty on what to do next? Because suddenly our values are in conflict with one another, something that happens to every leader in every field, but specifically principles. We want to hear anything that you might say about being guided by our values, our moral compass, and very complex problems. Let's hear it. 
All right. Well, thank you. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about um, because I think there's real value in sharing some of my experiences when I was a new principal because I learned some of those lessons the hard way. And I think that I have something to offer that can be helpful to people. And so as I think back to, you know, those, those initial days when I was a new principal, you know, like I was the CEO of my own school, you know, and at the end of every day, I could usually be found, you know, like puzzling over that day's dilemma. And I'm sure, you know, looking back, I'm sure there wasn't a dilemma every single day, but at the time, it really felt like it. And so besides being challenged by all of the the people-centered situations that occur on every school campus. I also felt inundated with a tsunami of tasks, meetings, and community members who all wanted to talk to me. And in my first assignment as a school principal, it was a big change for me because I'm a pretty low-key person. Um, I, I keep my head down and I get my work done. So as a new principal, I really wasn't prepared for all of the drama that occurs between staff members and between parents, what have you, and bickering and miscommunications. You know, those just aren't something I deal with regularly on a personal level. But I found myself in the center of some highly contentious situations. Um, for example, you know, one of those, those first dilemmas was a feud between two fifth grade girls and their families. And so lots of things were happening during school, after school, you know, in the evenings, they love each other, then they hate each other, you know, all of those kinds of things. And I remember that there was a, an evening performance, some type of something on the stage. And, you know, both girls were performing, they're in separate scenes or whatever. Um, the following morning, one girl and her whole family, um, like, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, like the whole world showed up at my door at seven in the, in the morning because at the performance, the other mom had sat in one of the front rows and she had looked at the daughter, you know, the other kid during the performance. And they were furious about that. There was another time, right? I was like, okay, um, yep. you, you can relate, I'm sure. There was another time, you know, that first year when a boy threatened to jump a kid after school and I learned that switchblades might be involved and, you know, all of that was happening while the school was undergoing an audit from the State Department of Education because there had been a testing irregularity the previous year. So lots of things happen in a principal's world and they often happen simultaneously. And so my approach to each of these situations centers on my values. So through all of the good times, the trying times, and the dilemmas, I'm anchored to my two core values, and those are courage and well-being. So I'm very thoughtful about my values, and I don't just talk a values game, but I consciously try to live and lead through my values. And I'm aware that I see situations through my own lens as a white female educator, and so I'm conscious that my perspective is only one of many and I rely upon my two core values to guide me. So my value of courage calls on me to stand up and speak out for my beliefs and I own my mistakes and I engage in tough conversations knowing that I might not have the answers, but I wanna learn. My value of well-being keeps me centered, grounded and in the right headspace so I can help others to feel more calm and slow down their thinking and their emotions. And I. 
basically I know my limits and I don't push myself over the edge. And so um, having the ability to articulate and really live my values has helped me to create boundaries in my life and it's helped me to make a lot of good decisions. And I'll admit I've made some mistakes because we all do. Um, and it's during those difficult times that our integrity to our values is tested. I'll go a little further um, by saying that um, by remaining true to my two core values, I've developed a framework for school leadership. And that's what I discuss in my book called The Ethical Line. Um, the Ethical Line builds upon the experiences that I've had as a school leader. And I've been really fortunate to have a number of mentors guide me throughout my career. So some of that knowledge is contained in the book as well as some behavioral science research that forms the bedrock of my leadership framework. I also draw upon knowledge from leading thought leaders through blogs like Peter DeWitt's Finding Common Ground. I really enjoy the principle of change and the recommendations from the Schoolhouse 302. So all of this knowledge is distilled down in the ethical line to be practical. It's designed to be a Saturday afternoon read. It contains tips and strategies that can be implemented right away. And the book begins with knowing yourself, to knowing and living your values. And so once you're clear about what those are, you can begin to make values-driven values decisions instead of being impulsive. Tony, that's you know something we all can rest on and, and really try to uncover is our values. Do you have any practical strategies or tips on how you landed on those two? Um, courage and well-being, they're powerful, they're obviously important, but something that TJ and I have discovered countless times, this is muddy waters for a lot of people. Values and their their integrity and so on, sometimes they're unclear on uh, what they stand for. Can you help us, you know, kind of um, get to the heart of how you landed on those two and decided, you know what, this is what I'm really about. This is what's important to me. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I, I don't want to say I study people, but I observe, I watch, I'm interested in how people behave. And so the way that I was able to determine what my core values are, you know, like I look at not just my, you know, like what do I do in my personal life and what do I do in my professional life? Because I can't separate those. I am who I am regardless of the context. And so I've used different strategies over the years as I've worked with aspiring and current leaders to really determine like what is at the essence of their being and what I've discovered and what the research tells us is that a lot of people talk about values, but they profess them, but fewer people really live into them. And so that's the message that I try to convey when I work with people. And I, I have a couple of strategies where, you know, like I, I have um, like 50 different values that are printed out on little cards. And so people can spread them out in front of them and then they can narrow down to like their top 10 you know, to the top five, top three, top two, because I found, I find that people can really hold on to two or three things. And sometimes you, when you start really crafting out, you know, like, what does it mean to have a value of courage? And so I, over the years, I started kind of drafting out like, well, what is, 
what does that specifically look like? How do I show that? Like I can tell people lead with your core values, but how do I, how is that observable? And so I imagined, you know, like how can I, you know, like show that to people? And that's really how this idea of the ethical line um, came to be because initially when I was thinking about how, you know, some people don't seem to live up to what they, what they, what they say they're going to do, or, you know, they talk about values at a surface level. I started thinking about, well, or what makes people ethical and what makes people unethical and, you know, where's that line? And, you know, like there's some decisions that I might make in a particular context that someone else might disagree with. There's lots of times when there's not a, a rule or a policy that applies to that situation. And so I, I played around with this concept for a few years about an ethical line. And I came to understand that each of us has our own ethical line. And, and that's our moral compass. It's the North Star. It's the, the voice in our head that guides our thoughts and actions. And so the way I see it, as we go about our typical day, all of us walk on top of this ethical line. Stepping off for the right reason doesn't make you an unethical person. Educators actually need to step off the line sometimes to make decisions that are in the best interest of students. We need to step off because there isn't always a rule or a policy that applies to a particular situation or maybe following the policy would actually be a disservice to the child in question. So in one sense, we step off of our line when we choose not to adhere to a policy. But on the other hand, we're also true to our ethical line if we do this to act in the best interest of a child or group of children. So as our leadership skills develop, we become aware of the many situations that don't have easy answers. You know, the right or ethical answer isn't always simple or apparent. So our decision-making depends quite a bit on context and on consequences and, um, you know, the decision-making patterns and wealthy private schools will likely look different than decisions we make when we're serving in struggling communities. The needs are different, so our considerations and priorities also need to be different. When we change contexts or consider situations from different points of view, we might find that our ethical line shifts slightly. And so to ensure that we're acting ethically and in the best interests of our students, it's critical that we continually practice self-reflection and we check in with others to make sure that our decisions, that the decisions we make are for the right reasons. But we also need to be prepared to communicate the reasoning behind our decisions, whether it is to a superintendent, a school board, teachers, community members. You know, I think that we, make, we try to make the best possible decisions based upon the facts and the information that we have. And I just feel really strongly in that, you know, I can have that courageous leadership for students and, and that's my charge and my responsibility as a school principal. You know, there's that responsibility is great and I take it very, very seriously. And I feel that I've been entrusted to make those difficult decisions that sometimes can be, you know, may not be uh, well received by, by everyone, but it's the right thing to do. 
Yeah, excellent points. And and I know any any of our administrators and, and teachers listening, um, this resonates with. You know, we live in a world in which we would love to have very simple responses, quick answers for even the most difficult um, problems. But, you know, many pro I heard this saying one time that, you know, problems have solutions, but then predicaments are those things where there are no easy solutions, where we really have to roll up our sleeves and, and it often charts a whole new path. So uh, it's, a, it's a powerful response. It's deep and it's very honest. So thank you for that, Tony. Um, we're going to switch gears into our five one thing series leadership question. Um, who's one person or group who you follow for either knowledge or inspiration and where could we find them? Well, I'm a big Brene Brown fan. Um, I appreciate her thoughts regarding leadership. Um, she's well known for her work around shame and vulnerability, but she also shares insights that have helped to mature my leadership style. Um, she offers you know, language, words that help me to be more clear when I communicate with teachers, parents, and students. And one of my favorite quotes from Brene is, being clear is kind. Being unclear is unkind. Wow, that's powerful. Um, we've actually heard from a number of people about Brene Brown and her work. And um, we do love that quote about being clear is kind. I mean, that's kind of our um, sentiment when we wrote uh, Candid and Compassionate Feedback, just that candor is compassion. So we share that. Is there a work of hers that you would recommend for somebody who is just getting into Brene Brown, if we were going to link back to a book or something that you would start with um, for our listeners, is there, is there a place that they, they should go or a book that you recommend from her? You know, I think people, you know, like, cause I've recommended Brene to people, you know, different people. Um, some people resonate more with, you know, like the, the aspect of shame and vulnerability um, and other people uh, resonate more with her work like daring leadership and dare mm -hmm. to lead and and that's kind of where I find myself more often um, but I think that it's useful to kind of go back into you know some of her earlier works and kind of go forward from there because she she retests her her research and if anything she adds to them but they they stand the, the test of time and again, it's just, it's, it's crafting the words so that you're able to have those tough and candid conversations that are um, compassionate as well as growth producing. So I find that really, really helpful. That's fantastic. Dare to lead that, that aligns directly with your uh, core value about being courageous. So thank you for sharing that. Well, let's get into the second question, which is what's the one thing that people should try to do in your opinion on a regular basis that will make the difference in their day or in their life? I think that we need to all get some vitamin N. So <laughs> vitamin N is vitamin nature. And vitamin nature on a daily basis works wonders for my mind, body, and spirit. Um, and personally, I enjoy activities in nature that have a rhythm to them. You know, like I like riding my mountain bike, paddling on my paddleboard, or playing tennis. I need a healthy dose of vitamin N every day. We couldn't agree more, Tony. Uh, 
a lot of people know this, but as our audience grows, not everyone does. Um, with TJ and I, this was founded, the Schoolhouse 302, what we've been trying to do, actually on the trails of White Clay Creek, which is... Um, you know, just a, a park near us and we would run and we usually did this just as a cathartic way for, for TJ and I. And then after a while, it, our conversations really morphed into solutions and some of the struggles we were having within our profession and, and elsewhere. But we found getting outside, hitting nature, getting on a trail uh, really opened us up, not only the physical activity, but just nature in and of itself and getting us out of the walls of our office expanded our thinking in, in odd ways, very natural. Um, so we couldn't agree more uh, on that. So I love it. I've never heard it called quite vitamin N. That's it. I love it. So number three, uh, what's one thing that you would want to know or be able to do that you don't already? Okay. Well, I hope my answer is okay because I really want to go to the Olympic Games. Um, I love to watch professional athletes in motion. Um, I admire the physical performances, but also the mental toughness. So I really want to watch the Olympics in person one day. And there's some chances coming up, but you know, there's Italy and Paris and, and LA. So that's like, that's on my bucket list. Well, we, we love that. We love live sports. And uh, I can share that one of my, my bucket list things is to see the world cup. And so kind of like that same Olympic um, games to see, it's just about the physical feat um, and the mental toughness that these athletes have. Is there a particular um, event that you want to see? Well, that's where I'm not sure. Like I would love to go to the winter games. I would love to go to the summer. I probably have to pick one or the other though, because <laughs> I love them all. Although if it's, you know, if you can get you to Italy, great. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's another reason to try to do it. Mm -hmm. um so great let's we'll hear back from you when you when you get to the olympic games and we can talk about how that went and what you learned and what leadership strategies can be applied applied to awesome. the olympics. <laughs> what's one thing that led to or continues to support your growth as a leader that others can rep replicate so for me it's a yoga practice and i i think that people have different ideas of what yoga is and um, and I have a, a really hard time getting still with my thoughts, just sitting in a room. Um, for me, I have to incorporate some type of motion, some type of movement for me to get still. So the yoga that I do is in a hot room. It's cardio, stretching, and endurance all at the same time. Um, there's just way more to yoga than just some poses. And so my kind of yoga really allows me to get out of my head and into my heart. And so it's this, this moving meditation that brings me so much focus and clarity every day. So it's, it's kind of related to, you know, if you're out on a trail, I can be in a hot room, but it's, it's really focused on the physical will lead to that mental release, you know, so you're not spinning and ruminating on thoughts any longer, that you can actually approach situations and people from, from a place in your heart. We've heard, um, Tony, that a couple times regarding, you know, yoga, the power of yoga. Um, can you speak to a little bit, uh, some, in our conversation, some people are intimidated 
by yoga. Um, so they either oversimplify it or there seems to be an intimidation factor. Um, was this like, did a friend, did you go with a friend the first time to maybe a class or how, can you talk about how you entered that world? Cause I was just talking to someone about this and they were like, nah, that's not for me. And, but at the end of the conversation, I could tell, and they kind of express, it was more of a fear factor of what they were going into because it is different. Um, than, uh, you know, traditional like exercise and some other things that we may typically get involved in. Absolutely. So the first yoga class that I ever took um, was so boring. Like I remember sitting on a, on the yoga mat and it was painful, not physically. It was painful to sit there for an hour because there were so many other things that I could think of I would rather be doing. And so then I, I didn't touch yoga for a few more years until a friend had said, well, let's go to this Bikram yoga class. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. Because she was kind of raving about it, that it was not a traditional kind of yoga where it's so slow. And I was just hooked. And so I went to Bikram yoga um, for a few years. And now I've done a, a different, still vinyasa, a different style of yoga for about the last 15 years. Um, but I think that it can be intimidating to people who are bored the way I was the first time or um, or on the opposite side where you see people that have these amazing beautiful forms and you're like there's no way I could possibly do that or there's no way I could you know stand on my hands or stand on my head and so there's so many apps and even on tv you can you can just look for even on youtube just you know like some some basic poses you know, to kind of understand like, well, here's some of the things that you might go into in this class. And you have a choice of, you know, it's your class, it's your meditation. And so what you put into it, you'll also take out from it. So I think for people that have, you know, kind of a fear or a wondering, you know, just look through some videos or talk to some friends and you know, and then just give it a try. I wouldn't recommend going to a 105 degree heated room the very first time, <laughs> but you know, something where, where it's warm, where your muscles can kind of, you know, like open up a little bit and you get your heart racing and um, you sweat out a little bit and you know, that endorphins, you know, that are released following, you know, that experience, like you're so clear afterwards. And, and that's, the, I can't get to that clarity necessarily by um, just doing something else because in, in my type of yoga, like my mind is so engaged in what I'm physically doing. It's difficult. That's the thing. It's difficult for me because I'm a good athlete. I'm, you know, like really strong with, you know, like ball control skills and I can power my way up a hill. But with yoga, like I'm not flexible. It's difficult for me. I don't excel at it. And so for me, like I have to work so hard at it that my mind has to, you know, my mind is fully engaged in all of those physical things. And so it's not only humbling, but it's, it's balanced me out quite a bit too. So I, I just find there's so many benefits from it. I think everyone should try it. Excellent. Uh, it's great advice. And it's, it's also great to hear you pushing yourself in, in ways that, you know, are uncomfortable not always sticking with those things that come natural. So um, good for you for ex experimenting and then having a, such a place in your life for it. What's one thing, Tony, that you used to think that you don't think anymore? Well, I used to put too much energy thinking about what other people are thinking, especially about me. 
So for example, I used to beat myself up when I, you know, didn't get the job, I didn't get an acknowledgement or um, maybe something I was expecting. So in the past, I would have immediately started to question myself, like, what's wrong with me? Why is he mad at me? Why isn't he talking to me? And I would ruminate on those thoughts and I'd, and I'd let it get to me. And so I've learned that those thoughts are called automatic thoughts and we all have them and often they're negative. But I've also learned that if there aren't facts proving that those thoughts are real, then I need to let them go. So now if I don't receive the response I was expecting, I don't sweat it. I don't think there's something wrong with me and I don't take it personally. I just realize, you know, like it's, maybe it's not about me and let it go. And that's really helped me in, in moving forward in my life. And I just wish I'd learned that lesson a long time ago. Tony, just a follow-up to that as we conclude here. Is there something that helped you with that? Or did you just, do you just think like that you, you, you kind of just as a leader matured over time to be able to handle that in yourself? Because so many people suffer from imposter syndrome, negative self-talk. And um, some of the stuff that Brene Brown talks about in terms of just being courageous, but also vulnerable, how do you how did you balance that in your own mind to be able to uh, dismiss those thoughts when they enter and move to a more positive state? Right. Well, I definitely can uh, relate to the imposter syndrome. Um, there's still times when I, when I feel that. Um, and I would have to agree with you that there's a level of maturity that results from experience and and then also, you know, like I've known that lesson all of my life. Like, don't think about it. Think about something different. But that's easier said than done, sure and especially when it's something personal or it means something to you. And, and so I've had to retrain the way I think. And I don't think that I was at a place where I was capable of doing that when I was younger. Maybe I should have been more conscious and more thoughtful in that, but I just, I couldn't see past it. And I just kind of would want to vent about something and then I'd be over it and move on, you know, and be fine. But now I'm, as I've matured a little bit more, I, I don't need to vent as much. And, and I, and I feel that brings more, you know, peace to me. And that, you know, relates right back to my, my value of well being. but it's also brings peace to the people around me <laughs> when they don't have to listen to me vent. Well, that's great insight for sure. And I'm going to try to work on my own retraining of my thinking and a little less venting, if you don't <laughs> mind. Uh, but Tony, that was fantastic. These are just great strategies and great insights for our listeners, which is the key. Uh, Joe and I always say that leadership is complex, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Tony, is there anything else that you would like to add for today's listeners? Um, I just really want to share with the listeners that um, I truly believe that as educators, you know, our profession is so important. And I just applaud all of the people who are currently leaders and those who aspire to be leaders because we don't always, you know, we don't always get that. Um, I don't want to say recognition, but, you know, like we're squeezed from a lot of different people. We're in the center and we don't have as much power or control as people perceive. And so I just want to applaud all of the people that, you know, really stick to their courageous leaderships, you know, in their, skill, in their schools and provide, you know, those wonderful learning experiences for kids. And, and just, you know, like sometimes things, you know, like you get into those predicaments and dilemmas and 
and just want to encourage each person that, you know, we work through things and sometimes we make mistakes. We all do, but it'll be okay. And just keep moving on, keep moving forward. It's a great way to end it, Tony. It really is with celebrating others, applauding others, perseverance. There you have it. Another great podcast. Thank you, Tony. Don't forget to follow our blog on the schoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, video blogs, all on topic of leadership. And we hope you've enjoyed our One Thing series on solving complex problems with Tony Faddis and so much more. Tony, we couldn't be more thrilled with the content of this show and our listeners are going to love it. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for this opportunity. And it's just been a pleasure talking with you both. Mm -hmm.